Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, please visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Steve Fowler. Hey, good morning. My name's Steve. Good morning to you on live stream. I mean, our house church, those in the room, feels good to be together in the, together in the room. And um, we are in a series that we launched last week called Replant. And if you want to get your Bibles or get your phone going, go to uh, Exodus chapter 18. I'm going to be there in a few moments uh, reading some of that passage. Uh, we started the series called Replant. Uh, we are saying that, you know, as we begin to come back into this place, we don't just want to say we're reopening. Uh, we don't just want to say we are regathering. We are really seizing an opportunity to replant ourselves. We've been, as a church here in Salem, we've been here uh, 100 years. This is our 100-year anniversary this year. We'll celebrate that later in the year. And uh, you, you get these opportunities every once in a while. It's like, okay, God, what are, you, what are you saying to us? And we've been talking about this idea of how disruption uh, is one of the things God uses to recalibrate his church to accomplish his kingdom purposes. And so we've been talking about that, and last week uh, I mentioned from Acts chapters 1 through 6 this idea that uh, the, the, the glory days of the church were powerful, and, and God was, at, he was on the move, and there's significant things were taking place, bull preaching, miracles, you name it, God was on the move, and then you get to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 is a disruption. It's, uh, it's, it's in, in, in the story, the narrative uh, that Luke is telling, it's, it's persecution and, it, and, and some, for some reason God allows all that's taking place in the book of Acts in the glory days, he allows it to be interrupted. And we're just making the, just the observation that you know what sometimes feels like a setback can actually be an advance of the kingdom of God in ways that we could never have imagined. And if you've read the book of Acts, then you know that chapters 8 through 28 actually detail that very thing happening. And so we've been applying that to ourselves here and just saying, okay, God, what are you saying to us in this moment? Because, you know, we're clipping along pretty good. Acts chapters 1 through 6, think, we liked how things were February of 2020. And then there was March, and it felt like a setback. And, again, what feels like a setback? Might it be actually an advance of the kingdom of God? We're talking about that as well as acknowledging the different emotions in the room. That, you know, some of us, this has been really, really tough. As you think about uh, being back together, you've got emotions. Others of you are maybe, maybe you're just, maybe you're thrilled and excited for this new adventure we're on. And we're just sort of kind of talking about what that might look like for us in the weeks, months, and years ahead. Now, you're all very well aware, because this has just been on the news, that when this global pandemic hit our world, that there was a rush to discover a vaccine. Uh, we know that, you know, through medicine, through gifted people in medicine, that, uh, that vaccines can and actually uh, do things that, when they're introduced to your immune system that can help you and protect you in, in ways that, uh, that is just it's pretty, pretty amazing. And, um, and, and we know that we have those immune systems. We also know that some people's immune systems are, are compromised and they're not as strong as others. And we also know that some people struggle from this thing called an autoimmune disorder. Some of you have been around here long enough to remember the name John Stumbo. And John has an autoimmune disorder, and uh, he still has to have treatments for that on a monthly basis. That's when your body is actually fighting the wrong fight. 
When your immune system is healthy, your, your, your body is fighting the right fight. When a contaminant comes in from the outside, when there's something that, that is harmful to your body, your immune system fights against it. That's a good thing. But when it goes south, what happens is your body actually fights the wrong fight. It attacks things that, that your body needs. And some of you are very well aware that, that actually that organizations, institutions, businesses, yes, even churches have organizational immune systems. Like, like for a church, when something comes in from the outside, maybe it's an idea, maybe it's a teaching, and we, we, we lay it across God's word, we go, well, hey, that, that, that should be rejected. We want to fight the right fight. But if anyone's ever been in business long enough or led a nonprofit or, or, or led in any dimension of society, you know that as you look back, as you longer you've done this, you look back and an idea came in that was treated as a contaminant. Hey, we don't do that. We, that, 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 that we, we don't, we just don't act that way. We all know we don't, we don't take those ideas. You look back and you go, oh man, missed an opportunity. And so sometimes organizations, institutions, businesses, and churches, end up suffering from an autoimmune disorder and end up rejecting things that actually should be embraced. Now, I want to take us to Exodus chapter 18, and I want to show this in action as, uh, as a, read a portion of the text here of a very well-known leader. He's a great leader. His name is Moses. And Moses is leading the children of Israel, and he is doing, you know, he's just leading as best as he can. And then his father-in-law comes and job shadows him for a day. Wouldn't you love that? Uh, his father-in-law job shadows, and uh, by the end of the day, uh, the, the father-in-law has a list of three things that he is going to uh, tell Moses that he is doing wrong. Oh, don't you love it when someone tells you you're doing something wrong? And, uh, and then we're going to see Moses' response to that. So uh, I want to read the text for us, Exodus chapter 18. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So uh, if you want to follow along on that, that's great. Uh, the, the text says, The next day Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's, of God's decrees and give them his instructions. This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out, and the people too. The job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now, listen to me, and let me give you a word of advice, and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them God's decrees and give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives, but... Select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 100, 50, and 10. You should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. 
If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures, and all these people will go home in peace. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestion. He chose capable men from all over Israel and appointed them as leaders over the people. He put them in charge of groups of 1,000, 150, and 10. These men were always available to solve the people's common disputes. They brought the major cases to Moses, but they took care of the smaller matters themselves. Soon after this, Moses said goodbye to his father-in-law, before he had more ideas, that's not in the text, who returned to his own land. This is God's holy word. Three things that Jethro says to Moses, who is leading the nation of Israel. The first one, it comes in the form of a question. We'll put it up here on the screen. Uh, what is this you are doing? Don't you love it when someone says that to you? What, what in the world are you doing? Uh, the translation here of that phrase is, uh, this isn't wise, uh, or this isn't smart. Or if you should follow the rabbit trail farther down the road, if it's not smart and it's not wise, it's probably foolish and maybe even dumb. So it's, a, it's just a very gentle way of confronting Moses and saying, hey, what is this, you're, what are you really accomplishing here? This isn't wise. And I just kind of wonder what's happening in Moses' emotions as this is being spoken to him, that, that what his leadership model is being called into question. And then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, says a second thing. He says this, this is not good. What you're doing, what, don't you love it when someone tells you what you're doing is not wise and what you're doing is not good? Translation, this isn't working. It's, it's not effective. It's not productive. Oh, Moses, you're getting a few things done. You really are. I mean, people are coming to see you. It is not like nothing is being accomplished, but it just isn't very effective. And it's not working well, which then leads to the final thing that Jethro says to Moses. He says, you are going to wear yourself out and the people too. Translation, this is not sustainable. This isn't wise, it isn't working, and it's not sustainable, Moses. And, uh, and here, here's what I love about this. There's just kind of this little odd little passage of Scripture in Exodus chapter 18. There's a couple things that we see in Jethro and in Moses. Here's what you see in Jethro. You see a guy who has the ability to see how things could be running smoother, but he doesn't just stop and just point out what Moses is doing wrong. Oh, don't you love it when people just come and they say, here's what you're doing wrong, and they just walk away. What I love about Jethro is that he not only sees what's not working well, what's not wise, what's not working, what's not sustainable, he actually brings a solution to the table. And better than that, he brings a solution to the table and then says, hey, go talk, to, go, go, go talk to God about this. I mean, if he commands you, he actually surrenders his idea back to Moses. You pray about it. You talk to the Father about it. And if he commands so, then yeah, go for it. I love that about Jethro. Because let's just, let's just say it. What our world needs today is not more fault finders. What our world needs today are people who can correctly diagnose the issues of the day wisely and also bring a spirit-empowered solution to the table. I love that about Jethro. Here's what I love about Moses. 
Because with Moses, I mean, let's just imagine for a moment, this is your father-in-law, which by the way, after one of the services, a a, a gentleman who was sitting with his son-in-law said, you know, my takeaway from this message is my son-in-law needs to listen to me. (laughs) Uh, Maybe. (laughs) But here's Moses. His father-in-law is visiting. He's got to be thinking something like this. Look, dad, you're from some backwater village in Midian. I actually grew up in Pharaoh's household, the superpower of the day. I walked the oval office of Pharaoh. I kind of know what I'm doing here. I mean, this is the, the most powerful nation in the world at that time. And Moses is, the thought has to enter his mind. I, I kind of know what I'm doing. You're from a town called nowhere. You don't lead anything except sheep. I'm leading hundreds of thousands of people. Thank you very much. But I think I got this figured out. I watched how Pharaoh led and everyone came to Pharaoh. He had the final say. It all went through him. And Jethro is probably thinking, yeah, Moses, and you're a bottleneck. Because you've got to have the final say on everything. Moses could have responded that way, but he doesn't. He actually listens to his father-in-law. Numbers chapter, chapter 12, verse 3, the amplified version, I think gets us a little bit of an understanding of how this happened. The writer of Numbers says, Now Moses was very humble, gentle, kind, and devoid of self-righteousness more so than any man who was on the face of the earth. Man, when you've got character like that, like Moses has, and when someone comes and says, you know what, what you're doing is not wise, what you're doing isn't working, and what you're doing is not sustainable, it takes humility, it takes gentleness, it takes kindness, it takes a, a, a devo- being devoid of self-righteousness to be able to even process this. I love this about Moses because he's so used to leading in a certain way and yet here comes this word and it's, it's, it's a great solution and Moses will implement it. And not only is it a great idea, but it releases people to be used in ways that they weren't being used before. It releases people to share the workload of the ministry and the leadership of, of Moses as he's pursuing justice for his people. It gets other people in the game. They start getting some dirt on their uniform, so to speak. I love that about Moses. And frankly, we just have to ask ourselves a question. This is a great time to ask this question. Hey, am I someone who just points, is, just points out what's wrong? Or do I bring some solutions to the table? When you see something that you're accurately diagnosing as, hey, it's not working, it's not good, it's not sustainable... Do you bring solutions to the table? I think uh, that's a question I've got to ask myself, and I think we need to ask ourselves as well. And another question to ask is, when someone comes to you and says, this is not good, it's not working, it's not sustainable, what rises up in you? Is it anger? Is it pride? Is is it being defensive? Or is it, wow, I need to pause and listen, and is it... Maybe humility and gentleness. And it doesn't mean that the idea is going to be a good one. You take it to God and you process it. Because you know what? Every organization, business, institution has an immune system. And sometimes we reject ideas that God actually is bringing into the forefront through people who are around us that we trust and love. Now, 
Let me just process this through our current reality. Let's go from Exodus chapter 18 to May 2021. Actually, let's just reflect a little bit on this last year. February 2020. That was good. Acts chapter 1 through 6, right? We're clipping right along. Then March happens, and we're on lockdown. And so we're all in our homes, and I'm preaching in my house, and Jeff is leading worship from his house, and we're told it's a 30-day lockdown, and man, it felt like an eternity, 30 days. How are we going to do that? But you know, I'm getting up, and I'm sending out a midweek update, and saying, oh, the good news is we'll be back for Easter. I forgot to mention it was 2021 that we'd be back for Easter, right? But we were all thinking, oh, this is just a short-term thing. It'll be done. It'll be back to normal. No big deal. And then we started going into April and May, and we started realizing, ah, this is going to be a while. Rob Basham preaches on Pentecost weekend, talks about mobile temples. And, and we realized that, you know, we need to create some gatherings in homes, house churches, where people can gather together because we're so isolated from one another. We're lonely, and we, we, we can gather in homes. And so Rob puts the call out, and 50 of you, 50 people, some of you watching on live stream right now, started a house church. And people started gathering, and some really good things began to happen. And then I made an announcement in July that made me a lot of friends. We're not opening until at least January. And people are like, what, what are you thinking? This is not wise. Right? And, 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 and yet the summer goes along, and so much to the point we realize this is a pretty long journey. And so come September, we ask Bible study leaders to courageously adapt and pivot to house church models. We talk to community group leaders about you know, breaking up the community group and being house churches and, and allowing for more people to engage in community in ways that we could in those days. And they courageously did. Our curriculum writers for our Bible studies, they adjusted, they rewrote, they'd already written curriculum and they rewrote it so that it could be used. In, uh, in a house church. We did all, now, now we got 150 house churches and we're going going along and here's what's happening in these house churches. People who were used to receiving and, 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 and hearing and receiving content were suddenly thrust into a position where they were leading and they were pretty stressed out. Like, how do I do this? How do I handle that question? We're doing Zoom trainings and, and training house church leaders, but they are growing in ways they haven't grown before. In fact, there are people coming to house churches who have never been to this church before. Last weekend, there was a couple who came to church that were in our house church. This was their second time here in this room. Oh, they've been going to the same alliance for nine months. They just hadn't been in this room yet. And we saw this happen again and again and again, and we began to remember, you know what? Sometimes God uses a setback to actually advance his kingdom purposes. And disruption, God will use a disruption to recalibrate his people to accomplish his kingdom purposes. I want you to catch this video. It's a short little video of a house church, so you can just get a glimpse of, of what maybe a house church looks like and some of the, uh, some of the, just the comments of what it's like to be in that, in that church setting. Enjoy this video. One word to describe my house church would be diverse. Unity in the spirit. Inspiring and multi-generational. One thing I enjoy most about our house church is just the laughter and the love that we share. We're all just like a great big family. And I think everybody that comes enjoys coming and we just have a good time together. 
worshiping Jesus? The food, first of all. I mean, you can't pass on the food. Oh, I think we're way more spiritually vulnerable with each other. We share our deep, heartfelt prayer requests with each other. We have good, deep conversation. And because of our diverse population, so to speak, um, I feel like we get into some really good, deep conversations with lots of good insight. We've had people who have popped in who have never come to church at all before, and they have engaged with our group. Uh, there are some individuals who have come from other churches even because they've been interested in what we're doing here. And I think that's just something that is really unique about us. It shows that we're open. It shows that we are, are loving. It shows that we uh, care about other people. It's just something that really shows the benefits of this type of setting. Since I've invi started inviting people to come, they found that this smaller environment, this family type of environment, has been a little bit more of a draw to them. I think sometimes being in a big church setting can be overwhelming, it can be intimidating. And so being able to be like, hey, you know, there's 10, 12 people here and we're a family, but we love to bring more people in. I think that that is something that motivates me to invite more people, but then also is intriguing to people who have never been to church before. Why is it important to me to invite people to our house church? Spread the gospel. I think it's impacted the group. Every time you invite somebody, they come, it blesses all of us. Like, oh, hi, come. You know, you get that opportunity to love on them, to show them the love of Christ. And that, my friend and my sister, is what it's all about. When Salem Alliance first started opening back up to in-person, our house church discussion was pretty unanimous that we didn't want to go back to in-person. We wanted to keep meeting. In fact, we said we would even choose our meeting time, change our meeting time, if that meant that we could all continue to meet together. We haven't exactly landed on when that is. I think we're just gonna keep it the same, which is Sunday mornings at 9.30. That's a huge plus that our, fam our family that we have here enjoys meeting when we do, enjoys meeting together, and isn't really willing to give that up for the traditional church setting again. Come, <laughs> try us. Community is not easy. Community is never easy. Finding a good community is never easy. And I think that with the beauty of the house church is that it's a smaller environment. It's a smaller uh, group. And so my challenge to anybody who's wanting to get into a house church is to, is to step out of your comfort zone, lean in. I guarantee you there's somebody, there are people out there that would love to bring you in. That would love to say, hey, welcome. Oh, I think they should try it. I think everybody should try a house church. Come and see. The breakfast is great. Shout out to the Christensen House Church. It sounds like a meeting right now. Uh, glad you joined us for your live stream. And did you hear what Sue said? You know, we took a vote, and uh, we don't want to come back. We want to stay together as a house church. And I want you to hear me loud and clear. We celebrate that. That's a good thing. 
And the reason we celebrate that is because that house church, the folks in those house church, they're actually, my guess is that they're, they felt the, the stress of leading in these days and, um, and uh, when questions are being asked of them, but at the same time, they are growing. This is what happens in this setting. Now, Jesus is talking about discipleship, and actually what Jesus does is models discipleship for us very well. If you've read the Gospels, you know that when Jesus is collecting his first followers, it begins with a a come and see. John and Andrew are following Jesus one day, and Jesus says, come and see. Uh, Another way he'll put it is, come follow me. I I want you to be with me. And they're seeing, they're observing. They're kind of like spectators. They're seeing Jesus turn water into wine. They're seeing Jesus heal the sick. They're seeing Jesus teach. And this is the beginning point of discipleship. But if you've read the Gospels, you know that Jesus will take these disciples that he said, come and see, and then what he'll do is he will invite them to share ministry with him. So what he'll say is, hey, guys, I want you to take this bread and this fish that God the Father has just multiplied, and we're going to pass it out to these 5,000 people, and we're going to feed the 5,000. And the disciples get to work. And then afterwards, they're picking up all the leftovers and picking up the baskets. And it's going to happen again when Jesus feeds the 4,000. Jesus is going to ask Peter, James, and John to join him in a, in a room with a young girl who's, who's died. And Jesus is going to pray. And he's going to pray that, that the Father would raise her from the dead. Jesus is going to invite the disciples to engage with him in the ministry. It began with come and see. You watch, you just listen to me, and then it moved to, hey, let's do this together. But then another shift takes place. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus grabs his 12 disciples and said, okay, I want you guys to pair up. I'm sending you out. I want you to preach the good news of the kingdom of heaven. I want you to heal the sick, and I want you to cast out evil spirits. And he breathes on them and sends them out, and they go, and they come back. Jesus does this again, Luke chapter 10, with the, with the 72, does the very same thing, sends them out. What began with come and see and moved to let's do this together now shifts with now you do it, and then I'm going to coach you. I'm going to debrief with you. Because when they come back, they are stoked. They're like, oh, my goodness, Jesus, the sick were healed and people who were, who were in captive to evil spirits, they were, they were set free by the power of your name and they're so filled with joy and Jesus is filled with joy and Jesus reminds them, hey, don't, don't, don't get so excited about the power, be excited that your name is written in the books in heaven. It began as come and see. It moved to, hey, let's do this together and then it went to, hey, you do it, I'll watch, we'll debrief, I'll coach you and then comes Ascension Day. Which, by the way, in the church calendar was last weekend, Mother's Day weekend. That was Ascension Day. Jesus is commissioning his disciples. Go into all the world, make disciples, teach them everything I've taught you, teach them to obey it, and baptize them. And they are like, okay, okay, okay. We're, you know, Matthew's writing it down because he's going to write a book later. And he's taking all this information. And then Jesus ascends. And he's gone. And the disciples... In three years, have gone from come and see to go and be. They will be trusted with the most important mission this world has ever seen. How many of you have been Christ followers at least three years? Raise your hand and look around the room. You're qualified. You got everything you need. You got Google. Those guys didn't have Google. I mean, you can look stuff up, right? 
Friends, do you see this? This is the normal progression for discipleship. We start with come and see, and then we'll do some things together, and then you get sent out, and then you're coached, and then you go do it, and the process starts all over again. Jesus made disciples who can make disciples, and that's exactly the call that's on our life. But here's the problem. A guy named Dan Spader, studying thousands of churches, years ago, just researching thousands of churches, uh, has a ministry called Sun Life Ministry, says these words. He says, there are five stages of disciple making. Winning the lost, building up the believer, equipping the believer, multiplying disciple makers, and sending. Yet, get this, yet 80% of the churches I have studied have 100% of their disciple making aimed at building up the believer. If, if you don't catch what Spader's saying, here, here's what he's saying. We got come and see to go and be. But what's happened is folks are coming and they're coming and seeing. They're watching. They're, they're staying in kind of this, this mode of spectator and they're observing. And then, they're, yeah, they're doing some things with others. But they're, all the ministries are pointed at building up, meaning you're getting all kinds of content. And in 80% of these churches studied in North America, there were no ministries that actually got to the point where you got dirt on your discipleship uniform. You got content and content and content. And content is good. You need information. You need to know God's word. This is very important. But not at the exclusion of actually going and getting some dirt on your uniform. See, you could study to be a pilot for years upon years upon years. But you're not a pilot until you get behind that yoke and start flying a plane, right? And you don't want somebody in your plane, piloting the plane, who's only got book knowledge. You want them to have some hours of experience. You're not a basketball player if all you've done is watch videos and read books. It's not until you start bouncing that ball can you say you're a basketball player. You can study what it, what it means to build a house all you want, but until you start swinging a hammer and pounding some nails... You're not a builder. And friends, what we've learned in these days is, you know what? Exodus 18, sometimes your leaders can be the problem because systems have been set up to where the bottleneck is, you just, just, you know, just come to us. We'll, we'll give you what you need to know. And yet what we see with Jethro is, Hey, you know, there's these people around you that if you release them, oh my goodness, you could put them over a thousand, you could put them over a hundred, you could put them over fifty, you could put them over ten. And what ends up happening in the New Testament interpretation of Exodus chapter 18 is all of us, every one of us, all the members become ministers. And we, we go from come and see to go and be. This is the natural life cycle for a disciple. And so as we talk about replanting, what you need to hear from your leaders is, hey, sometimes God will use a disruption to recalibrate his people to his kingdom purposes. And so we look at what's happening in house churches and we're actually seeing, you know what? The more that something like this happens means the more that people are engaged in the mission that Christ has, has taught them. And the more we move from audience to army, and your leaders repent of creating systems that, that draw them all to, to themselves, and they line up in the proverbial DMV line all day, that's Exodus 18, 
And, and I don't mean to offend if you work for the DMV. I'm just, it's a metaphor. Maybe a bad one. But the fact of the matter is, instead of exhausting people, when people get some dirt on their discipleship uniform, they enter into the adventure of the kingdom of heaven. Now, next week, we'll lay out some, we'll even get more specific of what we're talking about and, why, and the why, answer the question of that. But the reality is that the more of us who are, who are answering this call that God's put on our lives, the, the, the advance of the kingdom of God will simply be multiplied. It doesn't mean that nothing good has been happening. Oh, there's been so much good. There has been come and see. There has been go and be. Moses did make some judgments on some cases. It's not like nothing good has happened. Oh, there's plenty that's going. There's great content. There's great coaching. There's great releasing. Ah, oh, but imagine if the Spirit of God were to breathe on it and multiply it in our day, in our time. Because what has seemed like a setback could be really a major advance for the kingdom of heaven. Let me just end with this question. Here's the question we need to ask ourselves. Am I a come and see or a go and be disciple of Jesus? Don't hear this as a a question of shame. Hear this as an invitation. Maybe God is already beginning to stir in your hearts. You know what? I'm I'm, I'm a come and see, but I want to do this with somebody. I'd, I'd love to be able to feel somewhat competent enough to go ahead and lead like those first disciples did. Or maybe you're doing it. You're leading a house church today. Way to go. Maybe you're doing the ministry you're leading here. Saying, Way to go. But we need to understand this is the move in the kingdom of God. This is the discipleship that Jesus was talking about. And the gates of hell will not stand against it. Let's pray. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your activity and your work among us. We thank you that you are for us. You are not against us. We thank you that you will use disruptions in our lives to prune us and recalibrate us to your purposes. We don't like pruning. We don't like pain. We don't like inconvenience. But if it means your kingdom will advance, we will embrace it. Lord, pour out your spirit on us. Cause expectation and anticipation to rise among us. And may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit SalemAlliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.